You can save every day by shopping at Whole Foods Market. Seriously, don't just go for the big sales. Walk the store and see the savings for yourself. In the seafood department, look for the yellow low price sign on Whole Foods Market Responsibly Farm Salmon. This fish is perfect for the grill. Buttery, fatty, yet lean, nice thick fillets. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it, and I know I can get it at a great price. There's so many ways to save at Whole Foods Market. Now you know. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. Hello, friends, and welcome to Money Girl, a podcast that helps you master your money so you can live rich and love the journey. My name is Laura Adams. I'm a personal finance expert and award-winning author of several books, including Money Girl, Smart Moves to Grow Rich. You can learn more about me at lauradadams.com. I'm really excited about today's show. You're going to hear my interview with Rod Griffin, who is Experian's Director of Public Education. If you're not familiar with Experian, they're one of the three nationwide credit reporting agencies in the United States. The other two are Equifax and TransUnion. So Rod brings an insider's view about how the national credit reporting agencies work and also the rights that we have as consumers. He's even had his own personal credit challenges, like becoming the victim of tax fraud. He tells that story in the interview and gives lots of advice and resources to build and manage your credit the best way possible. We covered a lot of ground. This is a much longer podcast than I normally do. I thought about cutting the interview down, but then I said, no, this is great stuff, so I want to give it all to you. We talked about what to do if you're just starting out or building credit from scratch. We discussed how to manage credit utilization and whether you can game the system by making early payments on revolving accounts. We covered no preset spending limit credit cards and how those affect your credit. You'll also get the scoop on credit repair companies and how to protect yourself from any bogus claims. You'll know what to do if you suspect or know that you've been the victim of fraud. And lastly, we covered how credit reporting works outside of the United States and what to do if you become an expat and think you may move back to the United States at some point in the future. Now, here's my interview with Rod Griffin from Experian. Rod, thanks so much for joining me on Money Girl. Laura, thanks for having me. You know I get a lot of questions about credit, right? I do too. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? (laughs) There's a lot of confusion about credit, and, you know, some of it I think is really justified. It can be really confusing and complicated, um, especially for people who are just starting out. So I want to know what advice do you have? Let's say if you're a graduate, maybe you're just getting started with your first job, or even if you're somebody, let's say, who's just going through a divorce, maybe your partner took care of all of the finances for a long time, and now all of a sudden, you're doing it on your own, and you've never really built credit in your name. How do you get started building it from scratch? Sure. And you know, the first step is to check your credit history to see if you have one. You might, uh, even if you've never uh, used credit 
or had individual credit in your name. If you've had joint accounts or been an authorized user, it's possible that you already have a credit report. So go to annualcreditreport.com, www.annualcreditreport.com, and follow the instructions to request your credit report from each of the three national credit reporting companies, so Experian, TransUnion, and Equifax. That will give you a good baseline. If there's a credit record on file, you'll get a copy of it. You'll be able to see what accounts are associated with you, where they stand, and where what you need to, to start with. If you don't have credit already in your name, it's a little harder. The challenge is that in order to have a credit history, you have to have a credit account. And typically, there are a few things that you can do if you're just starting out. One is talk to your landlord. Your landlord can report positive rent payment histories to Experian. So if you go to Experian.com slash build credit history, you can learn more about how to do that. And a landlord can typically, uh, of any size, so it can be a landlord where you're renting a one-bedroom apartment in their basement. It could be a 10,000-unit apartment complex. But they can report your positive rent payments to Experian. And what we found is that's a really powerful way to begin building a credit history and establish uh, your, your credit worthiness. So good place to start. So talk to your landlord and check out the website and learn how to do that. There's uh, Experian doesn't charge to have that positive rent payment reported. So there's no cost there from us. There may be, because we work with third-party processors, a nominal processing fee for the landlord. And what we've seen there is that the landlord may just include it in the rent, or they may pay it just as a service, uh, or they may work with you to reimburse them. There are ways to to work with that, but um, typically it's a very nominal fee. So that's one way. And we've seen almost 100% improvement in people's credit scores if they have a credit history and the creation of a credit history for the first time if they don't. So it's been, it's a very powerful, useful way to establish a credit history for the first time. The other kinds of things you can do are, are more traditional. You can open a secured account with your credit union or your bank where you have a, a savings account with a balance that's tied to a credit limit on a credit card. And over time, that would be reported just like a credit card account. Ask your lender to be sure they do report it. But if it's reported, it will build a credit history. You can have someone add you as an authorized user to a credit card account, which means you have the ability to use that account. You're authorized to use it but you aren't responsible for the debt. So that can be a very positive way to build a credit history with fairly low risk to you. But always remember, you have a lot of responsibility if you are an authorized user to that other person because they're taking the risk that you will manage that account well and be responsible with that, that privilege. You could also be a jo- become a joint account holder for uh, someone with a credit card, which means you are fully responsible for that debt and share the responsibility and that account would be reported. And so you would have a credit history. Another possibility uh, would be having someone co-sign for you on a a loan. So it could be a simple retail loan, maybe a a used car loan, something like that, uh, so that you have a credit history established in your name. Those are sort of the traditional ways that are, are available to build that credit history for the first time. I recently did a show about secured credit cards, and one question that comes up is, if the card does report my payment history, does the utilization still matter? So, for instance, if I put up a $1,000 
secure deposit on that card and that becomes my credit limit, do I still need to really watch my credit utilization, keeping it as low as possible? So tell me what your perspective is on that. Yes, is the short answer. A a secured card is treated just like a normal credit card. So your utilization, which is simply your balances compared to the credit limit, in this case with a secured card, it's typically the balance that's in the savings account, is still just as important. The key is to keep your utilization rate, your balances, as low as possible on that card. So using a secured card is just like a traditional unsecured credit card. You want to make a small purchase and then pay it in full each month to show that there's activity and keep that balance as low as you possibly can, because that's really the second most important factor in credit scores. The the first uh, and most important factor, of course, is your payment history. Right. So if you do have a secured card where you put up a very small deposit, you know, a couple hundred bucks, that means you're really only going to be able to charge maybe 20, 40 bucks a month and still maintain a reasonable utilization. So definitely put up as much of a deposit as you can up front so that you've got as much sort of free board to spend on that card without letting your utilization max out. Right. Or, you know, make a small purchase. The the rule of thumb is you never want utilization to be more than 30% of the credit limit on a, on any one card or on your total uh, available credit limits. So that's, and that's a maximum. So you want to keep it as low as possible. But the, the real key isn't so much how much your credit limit is, it's how much of that you use. So even if you have a credit card with a limit of 300 or 400 or $500, if you make a, a purchase of 10 or 20 or $30 and then pay it in full each month, it's still going to help you build that strong credit history, which will be reflected in good credit scores. Yeah, absolutely. So while we're on the topic of utilization ratio, tell me a little bit about the idea of kind of gaming it. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, I I only have one credit card and I want to max it out. I want to put all my charges on that one card. You know, and the problem with that is, as we're talking, you're probably going to go above that 20 to 30 percent ratio. And the, the question comes up, well, can I pay it ahead of time and get that balance down before the credit card company reports it to the credit bureau. So it's, you know, I call it gaming the utilization. I mean, if somebody is really willing to go to that extent to watch it, does that work? It can, sure. The balance that shows in your credit report is typically the balance that's shown on your billing statement. So if you pay that balance before the the close of the payment cycle and the balance that's shown on your your uh, billing statement is zero that's what would show on your credit report so if you pay that balance prior to or early prior to the due date and before the lender closes its books you you could show a zero balance still use that card and i know people that do that successfully it's just a matter of, of knowing how early you can pay that balance or need to pay the balance in order for it to not show yeah, a, a balance on on the billing statement, and there's also the the challenge of if you've made that payment and there's a zero balance, you can't make any more charges before the billing cycle ends either, or you'll end up with that balance on the card. So it works for some people, you know, but but isn't necessarily uh, you know something I would worry too much about. 
Yeah, it gets a little tricky. And I think if people are really concerned about it, you know, I'd say get a second credit card. You know, if you are really getting to the point where you're you're charging a lot on one card, it's probably a smart move to spread those charges out among multiple cards or be very rigid, maybe make weekly payments on your on your credit card instead of monthly. You know, that could be a way to keep a handle on that balance. And it's, you know, I always often say that, that people overthink credit reporting and credit scoring. You know, they worry about trying to get these perfect scores. And really, the key to, to having good credit scores is more about just common sense and doing some things that are, are pretty obvious to and you don't really have to think that hard about uh, you know getting the doing things to have a, a perfect credit score. And when people start trying to, as you say, game the system, it typically backfires on them. You know, if if you're paying your bills on time, if you're keeping your balance as low as you can on your, especially on your credit cards, your scores are probably going to be all right. They're going to take care of themselves. And you know, if you're worried about all of the the everything else is going on in life and trying to figure out well, how early you have to make that full payment so that you can maximize that score. It gets uh, tricky and may not work to your advantage anyway, just because there's so much else going on in most people's lives that it'll trip you up. Yeah, good advice. Tell me a little bit about no preset spending limit cards. These are called NPSL cards for short, and they're mostly called charge cards. American Express offers these cards. Tell us a little bit about how they show up on credit reports and and how people can manage those wisely. There are several things that that are are noteworthy about those types of cards. One, as you pointed out, they're typically charge cards, which means you can't revolve the balance. You can't carry a balance from one month to the next. So you're required to pay the balance in full based on the contract with that card company, which is a bit different than than most credit cards. The other thing is that the way they appear on a credit report can differ depending on the way the particular credit card company reports it. Some may report the card and not provide any credit limit at all. Others might report the limit, a very high limit that yeah, even though you know they say there's no spending limit, there actually is, but it's so high, very few people would ever reach it, which it would then result in utilization and scoring, uh, but typically not an issue for uh, you know, people going over that limit. Uh, so it's possible. They may also report your high balance as the credit limit, which can be a little more challenging because that could then result in your balance and your limit being very close, which would affect utilization potentially. The scoring systems, though, also treat them differently. For example, if your your credit report shows a no spending limit card and does not show a credit limit at all, the scoring system may exclude that card from the calculation for utilization. So it wouldn't affect scores at all. So yeah, so there's some some nuance there too. So scoring is different than the reporting itself, and you need to look at and think about how scoring uh, systems are going to treat those cards as well. Yeah, so folks really need to check their credit report, and they need to see how that card is being reported there. You know, is there a credit limit that's showing up 
Um, and what is that? You know, you can probably tell from the number whether you think that's kind of a, a company given limit or whether that's your highest balance limit and get a get some guidance there on, on how high you should go with that card. If it's a pretty low amount, it's just like the utilization, right? We want to kind of keep it in that 20 to 30 percent limit and try not to go above that because if it is factored into some of the credit scoring models, you know, that could hurt you if you go too high. Right. And, you know, that's, you need to know the contract. You always tell everybody when you're opening an account, make sure that you understand the terms of the contract, including if that account will be reported to the credit reporting companies. And if so, how it will be reported, because you need to understand the consequences of, of that and how you would uh, then manage using that card. Money Girl is sponsored by Claritin. If you're like me, this spring is pretty rough on allergies. Sometimes you just don't even want to go outside. But luckily for those that live with the symptoms of allergies, you can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. It's designed for serious allergy sufferers. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in one pill that relieve your symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. It's a double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available. It relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy, watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Claritin D starts working fast, like as little as 30 minutes, and it's non-drowsy relief, so you still make the most of the day. If you're ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. You can find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. You want to ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. Today's top story, the flavor merger of the century between the peanut butter group and Chocolatey Corp. Joining me is a PBC executive. Thanks for having me, Barry. Now, how did you know the merger and the byproduct of it, Jif peanut butter and chocolate-flavored spread, would be a success? You know, it was a gut feeling, a rumbling, if you will. Besides, they're two titans of taste. Very true. Goes great with pretzels. And pancakes. Apples too, I bet. Try Jif PBC today. Rod, I have some folks that have been very interested in using credit repair companies. And I always really caution people about using a credit repair company. Can you tell us a little bit about what they do, if there's really any good reason to use one? Well, I'll tell you what the Federal Trade Commission has said. I tend to defer to them (laughs) and their statement. And what they've said is that you cannot pay someone to legally remove accurate information from your credit report, even if it's negative. So you you need to be aware of that. Whatever those companies are promising to do for a fee, you can do for free. 
So you can dispute the information, which is their typical process. You can go get your credit report if you if and review it at no cost. If you need to dispute information, you can dispute it with Experian. It's very easy. You go to experian.com slash dispute. If you have your personal report, not a copy from a lender, but your own personal report, it will have a number. You can plug that number in and we'll, you pull up that report immediately and instantly and be able to click on dispute, need to dispute. You click on the dispute button with an account, enter your dispute, can upload information. If you don't have a report, we'll ask you for some information and we'll provide a report at no cost. For you, and then you can dispute that information. So again, there's there's no cost there, no cost to dispute information. The other thing to be aware of is that there's something called the Credit Repair Organizations Act. And it very clearly defines your rights as a consumer when it comes to credit repair firms. And there are a couple of key things about the law or that the law requires. First, a credit repair company must provide a contract in writing that specifies everything it will do for you. And they cannot take a penny from you until they fulfill all the terms, all of the terms of that contract. They cannot take money up front. You also have three days to withdraw from that contract if you decide you don't want their service. So very important just from a payment perspective. They also cannot ask you to falsify information or such as changing your name or identifying information because that would be fraudulent. And if they ask you to do something like that and you choose to, not only are they violating federal law, but you may also be committing credit fraud and could face legal consequences. So there's some very serious repercussions to contracting with a credit repair firm that's, that, that's making promises that it probably can't uphold. You know, there are very good credit counseling services that will help a person manage the debts they have that can help work with their lenders. But typically, they're not going to charge a fee, or if they do, it's it's fairly minimal. There are some good for-profit firms. You know, I'm not saying that there aren't, but you need to know your rights if someone's saying you need to pay us. You know, I've seen instances where they'll claim that they'll remove you know, accurate but negative information and charge as much as $1,000 per account and then do nothing. Uh, but if you're working with a good nonprofit credit counselor or a good credit counselor, they're not going to promise to take accurate information off your report. What they're going to do is help educate you about how credit reporting works, how to manage your debts better. They may work with your lenders if, if there's no other means within your budget to cover those expenses and help you work with them uh, on on reducing your your payments and uh, managing those debts that way. But they're also going to require you to probably do things like create a budget, perhaps attend classes on credit reporting and how to manage credit so that you don't fall into the same pitfalls again in the future. So it's it's usually not as easy as just calling and saying, I'm going to pay you if you'll get that stuff off my report. But they will help you become more knowledgeable and, and not make the same mistakes again. In my private Facebook group, which is called Dominate Your Dollars, um, one of the members posted about having become the victim of fraud. Uh, her name is Sarah. She said she did have her social security number stolen, and she tried to dispute it, but her request was declined. Now, I'm not sure where she is disputing it, but give us a little advice if we what to do if we find out that we have been the victim of fraud, if we see something suspicious on our credit file. What's the first thing to do? 
Sure. Well, and I, I can tell you, I'm right there with you because I was a victim of tax fraud last year, and I've also had credit card accounts compromised. So I, I know how you feel. <laughs> so even though I work for the company and I've gone through the same processes, it's really pretty straightforward. If you're a victim of fraud or believe you may be, the first thing to do is add what we call an initial security alert to your credit report. There's no cost to do that. At Experian, you go to experian.com slash fraud and it's, the, the box pops up and it's pre-checked and you just hit continue. It says, I want to add initial security alert. That alert will stay for 90 days. You can request a free copy of your report. Check it to make sure everything's okay. If it's if it's not, you can then take action. The alert says, I believe I may be a victim of identity theft before granting credit in my name. Please essentially says, please take some steps to verify my identity or call me and you can provide a telephone number. That gives you time then to notify the police department and file a fraud alert or a, a, pardon me, a, a, a fraud report. And they'll know how to do that. The And I can tell you, I did the same thing. And I live in a, a fairly small town in Texas and went to the police when I had tax fraud happen. And I thought for sure I was going to have to explain to them you know, what they had to do. And I was very disappointed because he said, just a minute, let me get the form. He knew exactly what was going on. So the police understand. Law enforcement knows exactly what, what to do. And file that police report. With that report, if you go to experian.com, com slash fraud, you can add what we call an extended fraud victim statement. That statement remains seven years. And with that report, you can contact us and we'll begin to automatically suppress the accounts that are fraudulent and then dispute them on your behalf. The key is to be very clear that the accounts you're disputing are fraud or or result of identity theft. Use those words. Be very clear about what you're disputing and document them if you can. Uh, and have that police report, because with that police report, it's going to help us do things proactively for you. Rod, how did you figure out that you had been the victim of tax fraud? I got a tax refund check for $6,822, and I hadn't filed my taxes yet. So, it, uh, you know, I don't know how they got my identity, my identity and my wife's as well, and filed a, a fraudulent tax return through an online tax preparation service, not the one most of us know about. It was a smaller one. And they, the fraudsters then asked that it be paid through an electronic funds transfer and that the processing fee be deducted from their tax refund, which meant the bank had to process that request. So the preparer sent it to the bank, kind of a long story, but they sent it to the bank. The bank deducted that processing fee, but the fraudsters messed up the account number for the transfer, which resulted in the bank having to send the check by mail to the address on the return, which was mine. And it came to me. And that's how I found out I was a victim of of tax fraud. Unbelievable. That is quite a story. And I know it happens to many, many Americans. So this is great, uh, great advice. Watch out for anything strange going on with your taxes. Yeah, and if you get a check like that, it's probably the result of fraud. Um, don't cash it. Although I did ask a police officer, we were filling out the form, and I said, you know, if I were thinking like a criminal, I said, I probably could have deposited this. And he kind of half smiled and said, probably. <laughs> but, but, you know, be honest. It's, it works to your advantage in the end. You know, you won't, won't get into trouble that way. Definitely. 
And Rod, one thing I'll wrap up here with what to do if you are overseas. I've got a lot of listeners who live in other countries uh, or maybe they're expatriates, you know, U.S. citizens that are now living in other countries. Are there credit scores for expatriates? And do you guys have credit scoring in other countries? We actually have credit scoring, not so much credit scoring, we have credit reporting businesses, Experian does, in almost 40 countries. However, your credit report doesn't cross national boundaries. So if you're a U.S. citizen, you've lived here, you have a U.S. credit report, and you move to England, your your U.S. credit report will not follow you. You'll need to reestablish a credit history there. Uh, We actually have our own employees have that same challenge. They'll move to the U.S. from the U.K. or from Australia or from uh, Germany or somewhere else in the world and find out that they have to start all over again with their credit report because we can't send it with them. There are a lot of reasons for that. First and foremost, the credit reporting systems are very different in every country. The laws that regulate credit reporting are different. The kinds of information that they collect are different. So it's really difficult to transfer information from one country to another. In some cases, it's illegal. The, the, the countries prohibit transferring that kind of personal data from one nation to another. Um, you know, so that can be a challenge. Uh, the, but the credit scoring systems do have, in, in other parts of the world, operate similarly in many cases. Uh, and, and there are scoring systems that, that do kind of the same thing. But the way, for example, that, that identities are matched can be different. Uh, like sort of the example I'm most familiar with is in the U.S., we match almost 220 million people with credit reports using their name, their address, their social security number, date of birth, all of that identifying information. In the U.K., everyone has to register to vote. And so the electoral role is a key identifier. And we have nothing comparable to that here. So it's it's a bit like saying a person has a PC and somebody else has a Mac. The, the systems are just different. Uh, so you can't transfer data uh, or credit reports across national boundaries either. Right. So if you go and live abroad for some amount of time and you come back to the U.S., it's very likely that, you know, you may be starting from scratch with your credit report if you've been away long enough and all of your accounts have fallen off. Um, you know, you may be starting from scratch. So some of that advice that we talked about at the very beginning of the show would be helpful to those folks that are coming back to the United States and, and taking up residency again here. Yes. I mean, and, you know, the, the key, if, if you know that you're going to be returning, is to maintain at least one open credit account. If you work, if you, pardon me, if you, if you have a credit account with an international bank or a, a business that operates internationally, it may be that they can transfer your account from, their, uh, the, from one of their European branches, for example, back to the U.S. and open an account, which would help you establish a credit history as well. Uh, but if you can keep one account or two open and active in the U.S., you know, and make a charge once in a while, it may help keep that credit report open and active. Terrific. Rod, thank you so much for this information. I really enjoyed it. Sure, Laura, you're very welcome. Anytime I can help, please feel free to give me a call. And uh, thank you for having me. I really hope you enjoyed the interview and will take away some tips to build and maintain excellent credit. If you're getting value from the Money Girl podcast, I have a favor to ask. 
please subscribe to the show and take a moment to submit a five-star review. iTunes is still the most popular way new listeners find the show, so your reviews on that platform are great because they really help us stay visible there. But you can also get the show on other apps, such as Stitcher and SoundCloud, where you can also submit reviews. And here's something really exciting. Money Girl is now available on Spotify's mobile app. So if you're on Spotify, check it out. So I'll thank you in advance for taking the time to submit a quick review wherever you get the show. It would really mean a lot to me. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week. Courtesy of Money Girl, your guide to a richer life. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm getting married today. I'm also a firefighter and first responder. When you move over and slow down, you're making sure I can make it to my ceremony to start the next chapter of my life. When you see flashing lights, remember, they're not just roadside workers. Thank you for moving over and slowing down. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.